Well, we are moving into our week of Thanksgiving, and uh, of course for Christians every week should be a week of Thanksgiving, don't you think? And uh, so we're going to uh, talk about that a little bit here, and uh, if if you have a Bible with you, you're going to want to open it to Nehemiah 12, but I would also open to Ephesians 5 and maybe uh, put your finger there. We're going to be comparing uh, two passages of Scripture, one from the Old Testament, one from the New And last week, we were in Nehemiah 3, and we took a look at what it looks like when God's people come together, they unite for a common goal and a common task. In this case, it was the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. When Nebuchadnezzar came in 586 BC, he came to uh, to Jerusalem, and he just wiped it out, and he tore down the wall, and he deported people, and for 140 years, that wall remained in its condition of being basically all broken down. Nehemiah comes along, God gives him a vision and a, and, a, and a passion to rebuild the wall. He goes to the people, he says, let us rise and build the people motivated now by this common vision. And we know that it was a God thing. They set about to rebuild the wall, which they did in 52 days. And this was in spite of decades of indifference about that wall being in that condition. It was in spite of opposition. There was criticism, death threats against Nehemiah and all the rest. And yet everybody was on the wall. Everybody was building. Everybody did their part. And Nehemiah 6 records the moment of when the wall was finished. It says this, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. That's an interesting statement there. They fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. From that passage and from the story of Nehemiah, we come to realize that if you think that that Nehemiah is about the wall, it's kind of like thinking that Jonah's about the whale. Nehemiah is not about the wall and Jonah is not about the whale. Rather, it's about what happened to the Israelites while they were on the wall, like what happened to Jonah while he was in the whale. Namely, that there was actual true revival and renewal that God worked in the, in the people of God there as they were rebuilding this wall. It was nothing short of a, of a mass national revival and the wall was symbolic of God rebuilding his people. If you read through Nehemiah, if you kept going from chapter 3, they finished the wall. They have two national worship services. One, the Word of God is preached, and they stood all morning long, and they listened to the Word of God being proclaimed to them. And they said, we are going to do that. And and as an example, they, they celebrate the feast or the festival of booths for the first time since the days of Joshua. Renewal, revival, repentance. They gather again for a national confession service. They confess the sins that caused God to bring the Babylonians in the first place. And they they said, we confess that to you, God. We want to be restored. And they were. And the story of Nehemiah is, Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem. The walls are broken down. There's no worship going on. Everything's in disorder. By the end of Nehemiah, the wall has been rebuilt Worship has been restored. The priests are back. The Levites are back. The sacrifices are back. 
Leadership is restored in Jerusalem, and it's a picture of God's covenantal people being restored to a proper life and worship there in the city of Jerusalem. A picture of redemption. Aren't you glad God's a God of redemption, by the way? And don't we find even in that story a picture of what God does in each one of our hearts, spiritually, in our lives, as sin breaks the wall down and brings all kinds of destruction. But when God comes by his son uh, and by his spirit into the heart and the life of an individual, things are set aright. Worship is set aright. The heart is set aright. And God is once again king and Lord over our hearts. The high point of the story is in chapter 12, and that's what we're going to look at right now, where they gather again, only this time it is to dedicate the wall to the Lord. I begin reading in verse 27, Nehemiah 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the, those people. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and from Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people, and the gates, and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south, on the wall to the dung gate. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall." Now, to help you visualize what is going on here, here is a a, a picture of maybe about what uh, Jerusalem would have looked like, the time of Nehemiah and the wall that they had rebuilt. And the picture that Nehemiah describes here, this worship service, it was uh, kind of like a parade. They divided into two groups. Half the choir went one way around the wall. The other half went the other way around the wall. And they were expressly giving thanks as they went. And they went all the way around and they arrived in one, probably the temple courtyard there. And they gathered together and they have this big, massive, joyous, glad worship service where they celebrate the wall being done. Now I got thinking about what that must have been like because these are the people that are on the wall and are singing are the same people that built the wall in the first place. And so imagine as they're walking along, and here you have, you know, the Levite or whoever, and he's, oh, we're coming up to my section, the section that I built. Oh, here it is. This is my section that walked across. I'd be thinking to myself, I hope it holds. Uh, I, I don't want to see Nehemiah fall to his death because I'm a perfume maker and don't know the first thing about building a wall. But the wall held, and they made their way all the way Around And the picture here is of a joyous celebration for what God, what God had done. And the text says that they dedicated the wall, and they dedicated the gates, and they dedicated the doors, and they dedicated themselves. And that is the most important aspect of what happens here. They dedicated themselves. 
This last week was, I believe, the 150th anniversary of the Gettysburg Address. Did you guys see some of the hoopla about that? I love history, and so I watched a, a actor portraying Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address. And I can't quote it, but one of the things that Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address was something to the effect of, we do not come here to hallow these grounds. These grounds hallow us. The blood that was spilt here by the men who gave their lives will forever be hallowed. I thought it was such an interesting way to describe it. And it's kind of what's going on here in this wall. They weren't so much dedicating the wall as the wall was dedicating them, or in this case, God was dedicating them, rededicating them to himself as the people of God once again. So to build it, everyone was on the wall. To celebrate it, everybody was in worship. And the picture in verse 43 is one of overflowing gladness. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The emphasis here is on joy. Did you hear it there? The text says, God made them rejoice with great joy. How, how satisfying it must have been for them to, because everybody had helped build the wall. And now here they're all there. And they're celebrating that the wall was done. Everybody had a role. Everybody had a part. And then everybody worshipped. And it just seems to me this is so often the way that God works in our lives, is that uh, the toil and the labor comes first, and then, and then the celebration. Or as my dad uh, told me growing up, Steve, work first, then play. Any of you dads have, you guys have dads that say things like that to you? That's what my dad would say to me. Work first, then play. And it seems like spiritually that we carry our cross before we have the celebration, or that God God puts all of our resurrections after our crosses. And some of you today, no doubt, you are, you're in that cross time. You're carrying a burden. You're carrying a cross. You're in a trial that God has brought to you. And you're wondering, and, and you're wondering if this is ever going to become something that is once again glad or joyous. I want you to see in the story of Nehemiah and, of course, in the story of redemption through Christ, that for us, all our trials are temporary. All our trials are temporary because someday God is going to remove all those trials and redeem all those trials. For the unbeliever, trials are never ending. There are trials and troubles in this life and after judgment, there is eternal trouble uh, from the wrath of God. But not for us, not for a believer. They are all temporary. There is a party coming. Now notice the features of this uh, celebration. First of all, dedication to God. We see that in verse 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Dedication to God. Secondly, it says there was music and song. Did you pick that up? Look again. Verse 27. There's singing, cymbals, harps, and lyres. Now, a harp was basically... You know, you think of the, uh, you know, sort of the big thing, you know, it wasn't that, okay? Try carrying one of those around a wall like that. It's not happening, right? They were more like guitars that we would call today, and lyres were kind of like mandolins. 
So sometimes we look in the Bible, and anytime we see music, we think it's like, you know, the Philharmonic or something. Oh, it's like the Chicago Symphony. That's what the, No! No, not at all. Cymbals is percussion. Uh, guitars and mandolins. This was bluegrass, essentially. <laughs> and we know that dancing to this day is a huge part of Jewish culture and celebration. So now, no doubt there are dancers there. You got the choir. You got the music. You got the bluegrass. This was a hoedown is what it was as they went around and they were just dancing and partying and celebrating. Look at the wall. The city is back. We are back. God is back. Back in Jerusalem. Which leads then, I think, to one of the the most distinguishing marks here is that there was tremendous joy and tremendous thanksgiving. Again, verse 27. The whole purpose behind gathering was that they would celebrate with gladness, thanksgivings, and singing. And then we get to the end of the narrative and it says that God made them rejoice with great joy. And we see that this celebration, it was not sort of a manufactured gladness. Like we got to pretend that we're happy about this. Nobody had to smoke something or drink something to get in the mood to celebrate what God had done. It was God-empowered gladness as the people of God realized the work of God through them and building the wall, and they were glad in God, and God was glad in them. And they partied and celebrated. Have you ever been around a football stadium, a packed-out football stadium, and then, like, you know, the home team scores a touchdown? and the sound... Now, when the visiting team scores, it's like, you know crickets chirp chirp just silence but when the home team scores right and if you've been you can be a mile away from you know notre dame stadium or or uh, soldier field or something and when when they score it's just kind of it just echoes doesn't it and you think something big just happened the home team scored that's what was going on here. The text says that their joy and gladness was heard a long way off. Everybody that was hearing that was something big's going on. What has happened? The wall is done. Jerusalem and the people of God are restored. They are dedicated to God. So a great moment in redemptive history there. Now, here today, we're not on a wall and we're not in a temple and we can look at this and say, okay, a party 2,500 years ago, what relevance could that possibly have for us or for me today? And this is where we, we see in Nehemiah 12 a, a picture of what every day can be for the new covenant Christian. And this is Ephesians 5. I told you to put your finger there. Slide over to Ephesians 5 and listen as I read the text, because I think you're going to hear a very parallel statement and description of what new covenant joy and thanksgiving is all about. Ephesians 5, I begin in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is one long sentence here in which the Apostle Paul says, Christians, there's something not to do. And then he gives a list of several things that we are to do. 
He begins by saying, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. No to control by alcohol. Yes to control or what he calls filling by the Holy Spirit. Now let me give you just a very quick, very quick theology of the Spirit here and what filling is talking about. When a sinner hears the gospel and responds in faith and truly believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Bible says that God just bestows upon that new Christian all kinds of blessings. We're adopted into his family, for example. We're given the gift of eternal life. But one of the things that God does is he sends his Holy Spirit to that now Christian in such a way that the Spirit, the Bible says the Spirit dwells within us. To be a Christian is to have God, the Holy Spirit, his presence with us. He dwells within us. This is known as the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. It is a sign or a seal, Ephesians 1, that we are actually saved. It's a gift from God to us, a foretaste of the greater glory that we'll receive someday when we die and we step into eternity. It is uh, a precious gift. So we have the Holy Spirit within us. And the Bible says that that is not just something like having a, a new credit card in your billfold or something. It is a transformational thing to have God dwelling within you. So much so that it actually produces things in our life that are observable. Just like with alcohol, we, we can tell when somebody is under the control of alcohol. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, buy a, buy a, buy a bear's ticket and, and you'll be enlightened. Okay. We know what that looks like when somebody's under the control of alcohol. What does it look like when somebody is under the control of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says this is what it looks like, Galatians 5. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit brings those qualities into our experience. And all of them sound good to me. How about you? Who doesn't need a little more love? Or who wouldn't like to have a little more peace in their life? We all want that. And what a blessing to realize the reason that's the fruit that the Spirit bears in us is that's what God is like. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. He's patience and all the rest. So when God gives us His Spirit, God produces in us His character, His qualities, which are eminently desirable and uh, wonderful. So... The fruit of the Spirit. Filling, then, is that work of the Spirit whereby as I yield my life and surrender my heart and my desire to the things of God and to God's plans and purposes, the Holy Spirit fills me, He controls me, and He bears His fruit through me. Okay? Filling, therefore, in our experience, is something that can fluctuate. For some of us, you know, between Monday and Tuesday, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by willful sin and sin of the high hand, rebelling against God, grieves the Holy Spirit, and our experience of His blessing and fruit in our life is diminished. But when I repent and I yield and I surrender and I obey, now 
my life is increasingly controlled by the Spirit and His fruit and blessing is more experienced in my life. It, it can fluctuate, the filling of the Holy Spirit. As is famously said, it's not a question of whether I have the Holy Spirit. The question is whether He has me. Okay? And the degree to which He has me is then filling. The filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that look like? I gave you the Galatians 5 passage, which is the famous fruit of the Spirit uh, passage. Ephesians 5 is, is, is a, maybe a secondary fruit of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like when, a, when a, a church is filled with the Spirit or when a Christian is filled with the Spirit? We have this description, and boy, it sure sounds a lot like Nehemiah 12, doesn't it? Again, what was Nehemiah 12? Dedication to God, song and praise, Joy and thanksgiving. What does Paul say here in Ephesians 5? It's almost the same, isn't it? It's almost the same. So let's just compare this now. On the wall, dedication to God. In the church, filling with the Spirit. Similar concept. On the wall, there was joy and thanksgiving. In the church, there is joy and there is thanksgiving. And it shouldn't surprise us that a Spirit-filled Christian is a joyous, a glad, and a thankful individual. Uh, because this is, what, this is what God is like. And to talk specifically about joy, is your understanding of what God is like, is, is, do you realize he's a glad God? God is the most joyous person in all the universe. Some of us, we think of God and we think he's sad. Because all the people that we know that follow him, they're also sad. They're so melancholy. Why? Because I'm godly. I'm godlike. And that's why I'm sad all the time. No. God is a God of joy and gladness. Psalm 1611. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we need to get out of our mind uh, some kind of concept of God that leads us to sadness. God is a God of joy. And gladness, and he gifts us with the same. Now, 150 years ago, Gettysburg Address, we just celebrated this, this, that this last week. Many of you, I'm sure, saw that on Friday it was the 50th anniversary of the death of uh, uh, JFK. Lots of hoopla about that. I don't know if you saw also what Friday at 5.30 p.m., what that anniversary was, but I will tell you, it was... 50th anniversary of the death of one of my heroes, a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. I'm sure many of you know the name C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. His writings have been profoundly impactful uh, to me, and I commend him in, in, in every respect to, uh, for you to read him. So much so a hero for me that uh, Jennifer and I, my lovely wife in the second row, um, we... Uh, this last spring, we took a baby moon. Now, I don't know if you know what a baby moon is. Like, honeymoon is what you do after you're married. Baby moon is what you do before the baby arrives. Okay? A trip or something like that. Because once the child is here, there's no more fun. And uh, <laughs> you, better, you better do it while you can. So we went on a, on a baby moon trip. And uh, one of the goals of the baby moon trip was that we wanted to, we wanted to see the grave of C.S. Lewis. And there's a whole story behind that and involves a, a pregnant woman running through the mud in the rain, but I digress. Uh, 
it's a funny story. But we finally, we, we got to where his grave is at. He's buried in the little cemetery next to uh, Holy Trinity Church, this little church. Uh, literally, it was like a path that we had to take to get to the church. And uh, we were in a hurry. The cab was waiting for us. Its ticker was rolling like that. We're like, we got to go quick. We got to go quick. And we got up there and, and we're like, how are we going to find this grave in the midst of all these other graves here? And I saw a little bitty sign that said C.S. Lewis grave with an arrow. I said, it's over here. And we went running over there and uh, we actually found it. Here's a picture I took. Actually, Jennifer took of me. That's the grave of, uh, of C.S. Lewis. Very special man. And one of the things that Lewis wrote about so poignantly and powerfully, 50 years later, he's still a best-selling author, is the whole subject of joy. Amongst the things that he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. I like that very much. The serious business of heaven. And elsewhere he writes this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis. What is he saying there? He's describing humanity. He's describing the human condition where the natural man, the sinful man, is totally happy, he thinks, and content making those mud pies in the slum. And you can put whatever label you want on the mud pie. It can be, it can be as Lewis says, it can be ambition, it can be sex, it can be power, it can be pleasure, it can be hobby, it can be fame, material possessions, whatever. It can be any of those things. And the natural man's in the mud, as happy as can be, you would think, making the mud pies, so much so that he cannot conceive like a child in the slum of how happy a child is on holiday at the ocean. Can a child in the slum imagine how fun it is to jump in the waves of the ocean? Can a child in the slum realize how happy it is to make a castle, a sand castle on a sunny day by the ocean or run down the boardwalk? No, he has no concept. He is contented in the slum, in the mud. When God is offering the holiday at the sea, there is greater gladness and joy and thanksgiving that comes in a relationship with God through Christ than anything in this world apart from Christ. And our joy in Jesus is an ongoing blessing to us as we delight in what God has done and who he has been for us in Christ. And experience that joy imperfectly in this life and infinitely great in the next one. God is a God of joy, my friends. And from this fountain of joy flows an abiding thanksgiving in the life of the Christian. That's verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not misread that to mean that we have to give thanks to God for things that God does not give thanks to God. If I can say it that way. God does not delight in evil. God does not delight in human misery. We don't have to... Washington, Illinois, 
Churches in Washington, Illinois, do not have to give thanks for the loss of life from the tornadoes last week. And in the Philippines, the Christian churches in the Philippines, they don't have to give thanks to God for all of the devastation and the loss of life from the cyclone a couple weeks ago. The presence of evil, God hates evil. We don't give thanks for evil. But the Christian has an ongoing thanksgiving, what one writer calls a radical gratitude. Thanksgiving. Young people, I hope you never miss this in your vocab test at school. What is the definition of thanksgiving? It's self-defining, isn't it? It means giving thanks. That's a tough one, isn't it? It means giving thanks. A radical gratitude. Nehemiah and the people, they looked at the wall, they looked at what it was and now what it is, and they gave thanks to God. They had something to praise the Lord for. We don't look to the wall, do we? I'm glad we don't, because that wall, who knows where that wall is now? It's probably broken down again. It's buried in the, in the mud. We don't care about that wall now. It's gone. The Christian doesn't look to the wall. We look to the cross, don't we? What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sang that earlier in the service. We look to the cross and we see in the cross an abiding and an enduring source of joy and thanksgiving that will not go away. He is, he died once for all, Hebrews says. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And from that enduring source of gladness and joy rooted in Jesus as God and his work for us, There is a way and a source for us to give thanks to God always and for everything, as the text says. The opposite of this is easy to see. Grumbling, murmuring, bitterness, complaining. When you see that, that is not the fruit of the Spirit. I read this quote. I throw it out to you because I like it so much. Francis de Sales said this. The evil one is pleased with sadness and melancholy. Because he himself is sad and melancholy. And will be so for all eternity. Hence he desires that everyone should be like himself. I like that. God is joy and gladness and offers that to us by his spirit. The enemy has his own thing he's trying to do in us. Which might you, by the way, which one might you be uh, yielding to here today? So, joy, thanksgiving. Interestingly, though, in Ephesians 5, it also includes music and song, just like we saw in Nehemiah 12, right? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, that doesn't mean that we act like we're in a musical. Welcome to Bethel Church. We're so glad that you're here. So am I. Jean Valjean. A little homage to Les Mis. That's what that was. We're not in Glee. We're not in Les Mis. We're not... But I do think it would be fun after the service today, don't you think, if we just sort of pretended that's what it meant. 
Now, I said this at our service last night, and so many people were getting into it in the commons. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I said it first service, and I don't think one person did it. <laughs> so we know where the obedient and blessed sheep attend and where the belligerent uh, and uh, slow to listen, uh, the 9 o'clock service. So it's not saying that we, you know, we get all singy with each other. The key is the end here. Make melody to the Lord with your heart. The old hymn that I used to sing growing up was, In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody of love. Some of you may remember that song. What is that talking about? It is describing the internal spiritual gladness The kind of song or melody that the Christian whose sins have been forgiven, who knows God through his son Jesus, and sees life from the grid of of eternal life and all that I have in Christ, there is in my heart a kind of song, a melody that the gospel gives us, where we are actually glad about this, and we're delighting and can't believe that God's been so good to us. So much so that I'll bet you've had this experience where you're out, you're on vacation, you're somewhere where you don't know people and you're talking to somebody on the bus or you run into somebody at this or that and you turn to whoever you're with, you say, I think he's a Christian. Right? And you say, well, why do you think that? I don't know. I just, something about him, I think, or her, I think she's, I think she's a Christian. And you say, hey, can I ask you a question? Are you a Christian? And she goes, yes, I am. She goes, and I thought you were too. You're like, yeah. How, it's like a secret code between us. How, how do Christians, how do we identify in each other what this is? It's, isn't it? It's that little internal melody. It's a certain spark, a certain, mm, mm, that indicates that I got joy. And my joy is in Jesus. Now, let's not miss the fact that it does also say actual singing, which I take to mean the internal melody and gladness that I have in God flows out then of my mouth, particularly when I'm with other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, in a mutual rejoicing in what God has been, who he is, what Jesus has done, and all the rest Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the internal melody becomes an external melody. And we enjoy singing with one another. I enjoy singing. I hope you enjoy singing. I'm very pro-singing. Very pro-singing. In fact, I would encourage you to sing at home. Sing in your personal time with the Lord. Okay? Sing something. It, It raises the affections and it gets your heart going towards God. Families, sing at the dinner table. Now, I know Miss Manners says it's not proper, but she died a few years ago. <laughs> it's proper for Christian families to sing to God no matter where it is. I would encourage you to do that. Let's be a thankful singing church. And let's not... Fake it. And we don't have to fake it. The flow is there. We are dedicated to God like Israel was. We are filled with the Spirit. We have this inner 
melody, profound thanksgiving that flows out in joy to God and in song. That is a spirit-filled church. Starts in the heart, flows out in praise. That's what we aspire to be here at Bethel. And as we move into this Thanksgiving week, we have so much to be thankful for. Let's just pause for a moment and think about the things that we have to be thankful for. We begin with the Lord Jesus, don't we? His wonderful obedience, his sacrifice, his expression of love, what he did dying for our sins, all that he showed us in his compassion and love in his earthly life, to think that he is now at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us, loving us still, coming back again someday. We'll see that beatific vision of the glory of our Savior. We begin with Jesus. We can think about God, the triune God, his love and his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his patience to us. How good he has been. We could think about the promises of God which we need mostly in times of trouble that give us courage and give us endurance in the trials that God brings to us. How thankful we are for the church and how thankful we are for this church, Bethel Church. It is a privilege to be here and to be a part of what God is doing in building this congregation. So many wonderful Leaders and staff and servants of God here, serving in so many capacities, doing, praying, loving, wonderful congregation. I think about Mission Them 2.0. Here we are on the cusp of some really big things. If you would have told me a year ago that we would be where we are with Mission Them 2.0, and oh, by the way, you're going to own a 41,000-square-foot community center a block and a half from City Hall in downtown Gary. What do you think of that, Pastor Steve? I I, I just would have, you know, fallen over in, in convulsion. Like, really? How could that happen? This past week, we met with the leadership there in, in the city of Gary. They could not be more hospitable, hospitable or enthusiastic. They basically rolled out the red carpet for us and are very happy to partner with us. Who would have ever thought that would happen? And I don't know if we're going to make our fundraising goal or not, and I don't know what that's going to mean for directions or not, but here's what I know. I have never been a part of a church like this. And certainly never at a kind of moment like we're in right now. And I am profoundly thankful to be here. Praise God for Bethel Church. So on and on we could go with so many things. And yet, in the midst of all that, there is the tension of the reality of life in a broken world. I see our friends, the Favias, over here. Whose son died this week. My heart, as I preach, is with you. To look around this room, I know. Incredible trials and troubles and challenges of every kind. Relationships that are broken. Jobs that are missing. 
we are all going through, as the hymn writer says, dangers, toils, and snares. But this is the power of New Covenant Thanksgiving. It is not circumstantially derived. It is not based upon whether things are going the way that I think they should be going or not going the way that I think they should not be going. It is rooted in an eternal person. It is found in Jesus. And he ain't going anywhere. And the good things that we have in him and through him cannot and will not change. And so we can, be, we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials and temptations, as James 1 says. Because the trials and temptations are not the source of our gladness and joy. It is found in Christ. I'm learning some lessons right now from uh, my daughter. I have an almost six-month-old daughter. And... I think, I'll just call this the mercy of God to Jennifer and I, because he knew we couldn't handle anything more than this. Uh, God gave us a happy baby. She is a happy baby. Now, not always. When she's hungry, she's not so happy. And when when she has a poopy diaper, she's not so happy. But aren't we all that way when we have poopy diapers? (laughs) But beyond that, for the most part, she is always on the verge of a smile. To give you an example of the blessing that, that, that we have with her, this is what we get all the time. Let me just show you that. Now here she's glad because she's wearing an Iowa Hawkeye outfit. And who wouldn't be joyous wearing an Iowa Hawkeye outfit? But that little girl is so happy. And sometimes I find myself looking at her thinking, what do you have to be so happy about? Because she doesn't have anything, really, that most of us look to to make us happy. She doesn't have a shiny car. She has no savings account, no job. She has no steak or potato on her plate. She has no Facebook page, no internet presence whatsoever. She can't walk. She can't talk. She can't even chew right now. And yet, she's happy. Why? Well, I think it is because she feels safe, she has her needs met, and she knows that her parents love her, and that makes her happy. My dear friends, in Christ, we are safe from the wrath of God. We have all our real needs met, and we have the eternal love of our heavenly father and when our joy is in god it is a joy that cannot be taken away so may your week be filled with that with thanksgiving with joy because my friends we have someone to thank
And we have so much to thank Him for. All praise to Him. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to say that now. We want to give thanks to You. Not to say that everything is perfect or great from our perspective in this broken world where there is so much tragedy and there is so much pain and there are so many things that we would wish we could change. And yet our faith and our hope and our joy is not rooted in the circumstances in this broken world, but in the redemption that you have brought to us through our blessed Savior, Jesus. And God, I pray that we would have such a Christ-centered vision of life, whereby in the ups and downs, the dangers, toils, and snares, we might have an enduring gladness that we are your children, that you have loved us in Christ, and to be profoundly grateful. So hear our thanksgiving today and this week as we give thanks for all that you have been for us in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Turn your ear to heaven and hear the noise inside and the sound of angels of the sound of angels' songs in 